Morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. How you guys doing? You know, um, sun, you know, Sundays come with alarming regularity. And uh, sometimes you're just kind of perfunctory, if you will. You're just going through, like, the motions. Um, no, pastors don't do that. Um, but, uh, but, but there's other times where there's something so raw within your heart. You're like, there's just something so real. And you're encountering this heart of God and this mission of the kingdom and of heaven. And I'm, and then you're struck with gratitude. And so that's where I'm at right now. I just feel like my heart is raw and struck with gratitude to do this with y'all. Um, there is just something really, really meaningful. And there's a substance in this room when we lean in with faith and with love and with our brokenness and our expectations for God to come, and then something radical takes place. Amen. Do you believe in that? Yes. Today, um, we're going to be jumping back into our teaching series uh, called Surrender Solution. Surrender Solution. And can you put this volume just down just a little bit? It might be just a little hot. Um, we are something, something that, that I want us to wrap our, our mind and our, our reality around is that Church is not just, like Rachel said, a box that we check. This is a holistic, almost like a paradigm that we get to enter into together, where we experience the living God and his nearness and his love and his compassion. And so we, we engage in fellowship and we engage in this, this the reality of God's body, the body of Christ. And, then, and we also engage with our emotions and with our body during worship and with our mind. And so then now we jump in with those things as well, but maybe heightened a little bit with an intellectual and with our mind a little bit here. So today we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to lean in with our mind and with our spirit. And my invitation for you is to listen from your mind, but, but even deeper than that, from your heart and from your spirit. Can you do that with me? Yeah. Amen. You know, I, I want to start off with talking about when I fell in love with Jesus, when I made him Lord and Savior of my life. So I was 15 years old, and um, I was in the midst of a pretty chaotic season. And I was, I was only 15, but I was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, I was living a pretty wild lifestyle. <laughs> and some, some things in my in my past and things that happened to our family, um, some trauma has taken place. And so I didn't really respond to this, these, these things in the best way. I was actually dealing with them in a very uh, destructive way. I was even like sneak, I'm 15 years old and I'm sneaking out at night and I'm meeting up with some friends and with girls and I'm drinking and I'm smoking weed and doing all this stuff. And, you know, there's this one time I was at a park, um, and I was partying in the park, as I guess teenagers do, or something like that. And I was uh, I was drunk, and I'm just being raw, I'm being raw with you here. I, you know, I was drunk and I was high, and I decided in my elation and wisdom to climb up to the very top of the playground and jump off and do a 360, 360 because that's a great idea. And so um, I jumped off to the 360. And then I land and I break my ankle, like, like just pop my ankle off. My foot is broken and I'm screaming and I'm horrified and my friends are laughing at me. <laughs> they're laughing at me. They just, they're like so out of it that they're literally, I'm crying and in so much pain and they're laughing at me. And I had to like yell at them and like try to help them get sober because they needed to carry me home because I needed to go to the hospital. <laughs> And I remember, I remember like that happening and just on my way, just being like, this is so ridiculous. I'm in so much pain. And they like, what am I doing with my life? And I was able to slow down just enough. And it was right around this time of this, the, the year in fall. And we were looking ahead to like the fall festival kind of season and, and Halloween and all that stuff. And I remember um, all my friends going out and partying during Halloween. And I stayed home with a cast on my leg but slowing down my life and pausing long enough to start to get these glimpses of God's presence. And I felt wooed in my heart. Like in my weakness and in my fragility, I felt wooed in my heart by God's kindness to come and encounter him. 
And I started reading um, the Gospel of John. And I just cracked open the Bible, and I had a great foundation, Christian foundation. And that was the, the scaffolding for this new journey where I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And so I cast on my leg. I start reading the Gospel of John, and I encounter the person and the man and the God, Jesus Christ. And I encounter his, the stories of these exchanges, the way that he loves people, his humility, his confidence in, in the revelation of the Father and his plan of salvation, but also being right in the midst of broken people, right in the midst of, of the tension of death and life and sickness and, and demon possession and being encountered by his like, emotional intelligence and his compassion, his character, his mercy, and then reading through the, the, the cross and the account of his torturous crucifixion and in his death. Did God die? How, did, how is this possible? I'm reading through it like with fresh eyes and then encountering the resurrection. Death could not keep its hold on Jesus. He was raised from the dead. And I remember falling in love with this man, Jesus, and deciding to make him Lord and leader of my life and deciding to become a Christian and try to figure out what that even truly meant. And so I remember being so like, so devoted. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm all in. It wasn't just like a nominal kind of cultural decision. It was like, I am doing this with all of me. I'm 15 turning 16 and I'm doing all of this. And I just, I just remember like not really knowing how to do it properly. It's, I don't know how to be a Christian. Like I, I've been taught these things, but I, what does that really mean for me? And is it the right thing? And I, but all I knew is I just was radically in love with God and believed in his word. So I remember waking up, I was in high school, and I remember waking up really early uh, in the morning. Like at, and so school, high school started at 7.25. And so I would have to wake up super early just to get there, let alone to try to have devotional time with God. And so I remember waking up super early in the morning, like when it was still dark, and going into my backyard by myself. The dawn's coming up, and I had my Bible in my hand, and I had a songbook uh, with old hymns in it. And uh, my notepad, and I was out there, and I was just like having a quiet time kind of thing. But the thing is, it wasn't a quiet time because I was singing at the top of my lungs, like these hymns. Like, I surrender all, just singing at the top. I'm not going to actually do a demonstration of that. But I remember just singing so, so loud and, I, and, uh, and just feeling God's nearness and like that he personally loved me. And he was like plucking me out of my destruction and bringing, him, bringing me into a life-giving reality. And I remember I was doing that, and I remember, I'm, I don't mean to throw my dad under the bus here. He's here right now, but he was, I remember one morning he came out there, he's like, hey, son, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing this. This is great, but you're, you're kind of singing pretty loud. It's a lot of loud singing, and the neighbors, just, you know, you can wake up the neighbors. And I remember, like, kind of understanding, like, oh, man, I I am going to wake up the whole neighborhood and my voice is not very good, so I should probably not do this. But there was something innocent and raw about this, this little kid who was encountering Jesus for the first time. And, uh, and so I had this raw, I mean, I guess there's a motif here. I feel raw today. And then there's a story of me being raw, raw devotion. I just put that together here. But there, I just had this devotion for God. I didn't know how to, how to do it, but I just knew I wanted it. And I didn't know what, what, how to sustain it. I didn't know how to maintain it. And I didn't know how to overcome obstacles to this Christian life. I didn't, and obstacles definitely would come. And so this is kind of what I want to explore today. This is what I want to explore today. With that, I'm keeping the loop open. We'll close it in a second. Obstacles were coming. And so God has a, has a desire, he has a longing for us to reciprocate his wholehearted devotion. And we're gonna, we're gonna journey through. What does that look like? Before we keep going, I wanna point us to um, this, the Surrender Solution. So our lead pastor, Pastor Ross Parsley, has been carrying this, this design, this map, this compass in his heart for like 10 years, as we've been mentioning. You can put that graph up. Um, so this is the Surrender Solution graph. And so this is sort of like a compass or a map on how to, to live um, this Christian life and how do we enculturate disciple-making within our community. And so today we've been, we've been talking about vulnerability. Last week, um, Luke talked about identity and this week we're gonna talk about devotion. Amen? Amen? Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just... 
surrender to you. We encounter you. And so, Lord, would you help us to just awaken our senses, our spirit, our body? Would you help us to be receptive to you? Would you quiet out every other noise? Would you, would you give us, make us blind to every competing lover? Let us see you truly. We just say, we, we rebuke the spirit of rebellion. We rebuke uh, anxiety in this place, distraction in this place. And we yield to you. You are God and Lord and leader in this house. And we love you. Would you allow us to hear you with fresh ears and allow us to leave changed? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So the Webster Dictionary defines devotion as this. The state of being devoted, addiction, eager inclination, strong attachment, love, or affection, zeal, especially feelings towards God appropriately expressed by acts of worship, devoutness. How robust is that, right? So many dimensions to that. How many of you guys know that we were actually made for devotion? We were actually made for devotion, whether it's Devotion towards God or something else, there is, there is a design within us to make us devoted to things. It's in our DNA. <laughs> Do you realize that, right? And so maybe the, maybe the question is, like, why is that? Whether it's we're devoted to God and to good things or we're do- devoted to sports teams and social media or work or whatever, whereas there is an in- inclination to be devoted to something, why is this? Well, it's because God is devoted. God is devoted. And maybe even right there, I feel like that could just, God is devoted. He's not detached. He's not distant. He isn't impartial. He is devoted. He's radically devoted to you. And God is also radically devoted to the other members of the Trinity, to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's devoted to his creation. He's devoted to his, his plan of salvation. And as I mentioned, he's devoted to all those who believe in him. So God is devoted and we have been made in his likeness, right? We have been made in his nature, in his image. And so therefore we take on this trait, this condition of being devoted. Whether it's to the things of the spirit or things to our society, we are gonna be devoted to something. It's how we're made. You know, um, many of you guys know that I have a son named Judah, Judah James Lionel Silver. And uh, he is wonderful, he's three and a half. And he is just, he is so, so great. And um, he warms my heart and he also like challenges me. You know, he's just so strong and so wonderful. He's been in this phase, he's such a boy. And he's like in this phase where he'll take whatever he can and turn them into weapons. <laughs> and so he had, we got him like for his birthday, his third birthday, he got him these like Nerf guns. And for some reason, I don't know why, don't ask, but I didn't really say it was a gun. I just said it was like, here's this thing. And uh, it's like, it makes the sound poof, right? With a Nerf gun. So he calls it the poof thing. He's like, I'm going to shoot you with my poof thing. Like come up to me, just poof you in the head. And he like takes sticks and like just stab me for like no reason. I was just like, he's just, you know, like experimenting with his power. And I'm just like, okay, so you just stabbed me with a stick. But I love him and I'm learning how to, to try to channel his, the raw material of who he is. You know, just and, and to shape it into who, who God has him destined to be. And sometimes it takes with like encouragement and winning his heart. And there's other times where it's discipline and correction. And so as I was like, just thinking about him, I, I wanted, I just was thinking to myself, I don't want to miss this time with my kids, with Judah and with Eden. I don't want to like just, you know, so often we hear the cliche. It's like, oh, it's just, it's gonna, time flies. You're just going to blink and they're going to be 25 years old or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually don't want to see that happen in my life. I want to be purposeful. I want to be present with them. And I want to be intentional. I want to be an intentional father. Easier said than done, but this is, this is my aspiration. And so I was asking myself, I was asking myself, like, if I could impart the, 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 from the mistakes I've made and the knowledge that I've learned, if I can impart what's most important about life and how to live, like, what would I say? Maybe you can ask yourself, if I could do it all over again, or if you're expecting, what do I want to impart on my child for them to live the most, the, the most flourishing life, a life that is marked by importance, significance, and positive consequence? 
And so I'm still kind of learning what, what should that look like. But in the scripture, there's actually this question being played out from the archetype king of Israel, King David, to his son and successor, Solomon. And he gives, gives this impartation in one paragraph, what's most important in life and how you should live. And it's found in 1 Chronicles, verse 20, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. Let's read that together. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. And acknowledge is like another word in the Hebrew is to know. It's experiential knowledge. It's relationship. Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him half-heartedly. No, it doesn't say that. With wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. You know, this was written about 3,000 years ago, and I found this really striking because it was so ahead of its time. I feel like psychology is still catching up with this truth. And this was 500 years before the Greek society started to bring about philosophy and psychology. So a lot of the ancient mindset back there what didn't even have a concept for a mindset, right? And so here, the Holy Spirit is speaking into something that is so timeless and involves the mind, the heart, these desires, these thoughts, how we think so our life probably goes. And so King David is telling Solomon to watch for these things. And then I also want to highlight to serve him. And this context, serve is to worship him, but also to do, to do service of the things of the kingdom and ruling and reigning for God with him or serve him with wholehearted devotion. Not half-hearted, not 90%, but wholehearted devotion. And so this idea of devotion is really, really central. I want to communicate that. It's really, really central within reality, within the scripture. And it's central within our calling, wholehearted devotion. So we see this in First Chronicles and in many other verses in the Bible. And we'll start to like kind of tap on those things. And so we see that wholehearted devotion means with our mind, with our heart, and with our desire, we serve God and we follow Jesus. In the context of the, of the progressive revelation of scripture, we know that this means to follow Jesus. And it means that we, we love God. Right? Not, just, not through the definition of what love is in this society, but agape, God, life-giving, sacrificial love. And that we're devoted to him and we're devoted to his ways. We're devoted to his words. We're devoted to the way he lived and his actions and to his attitude and to his purposes and to his commands. It means that we value everything about Jesus over everything else. Elevation, glorification, magnification of Jesus Christ. You know, when I married Rachel, um, I want to make a joke about how beautiful she is, but she doesn't like me to do that. So I did that without doing it. But uh, she, uh, <laughs> she's shaking her head at me. But when I married Rachel, I vowed to forsake every other lover. Like it was a vow. I just forsake every other lover, whether it's in my mind, whatever the case may be, you are the object of all of my romantic love. And in a similar way, when I gave my life to Jesus and it happened then when I was 15 and, and I try to do it every single day, just be melted afresh in, a, in, a, in salvation before God every single day. In a similar way, it's I'm vowing to, to, to um, forsake every other God, every other competing rival for God, to forsake these things and to value him over everything else. And so are we doing this in our life? Am I doing this in my life? These are questions of reflection. And so devotion means the elevation of Jesus over everything else. And it's not just a mindset or not just like a worldview, but it's the way we live. We embody and implement it. Wow, that church, those people, that family, that marriage, they really do value Jesus over everything else. And look how there's blooming in the midst of suffering. This is what's possible. This also means in this glorification, it's also connection. We elevate God, but we're also in union with God. So there's this beautiful like 
Wow, you're in my surrender and lowering of myself as you get higher and higher, even, but I'm in union with you, so I'm elevated too. And that's not the motive, but this is the byproduct. And you start to like get updraft in your perspective. And we start to see from heaven's vantage point. Connection with God. And so this means this connection is not just a spiritual one, Although you could probably say spiritual is all-encompassing, but we've relegated spiritual to be like this disembodied thing. But true spirituality is all of it. God is spirit, but that's another teaching. But there's spirituality, and then there's coupled with physical. So spiritually and physically, we're connected to God. How? We're the body of Christ. We are the temple of God's presence, right? So are we... Are we are we devoted in this way? And we're also connected to God and elevating God through our intellect and also our emotions together, tandem. And we're connected to God personally. How many of you guys have a personal relationship with God? Amen. This is good. I love the, the movement that happened in the 20th century. I think uh, Billy Graham was a huge proponent. Personal relationship with God, it has to be personal, right? The, the tr- I want to go into like church history, but like some of the, the church traditions um, just kind of divorce personal relationship with God. It was all about the church, but it almost overcorrected. And like, there was an overcorrection. It's just my personal relationship with God. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of a community. I don't need to be a giver. I don't need to serve. I got my personal relationship with God. I'll watch from, from my house or something, right? And so there needs to be a balance. We are personally connected to God, but also socially connected to God. It's God's design. We're meant to do this in community. There's a lot in there, but I'm talking about holistic devotion to God. And so maybe you, you ask the question, okay, all right, so here's all these things, all these concepts, but maybe let's just take it down a level. Like what's the foundation or the root system of devotion? Well, take a wild guess. It's love. It's love. The root system to a devoted life is love. In Mark chapter 12, if you have your phones or your Bible, you can turn there if you want. It's also on the Sky Bible. (laughs) Mark chapter 12. So one of the teachers of the law, one of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus and he asks him this sort of like tricky question, except for Jesus, it's not tricky. And and so this is what he says. One of the, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is what it means to holistically love God and to wholeheartedly be devoted to him. So it involves our heart. It involves our soul. It involves our mind and our strength. The word strength in the original language also is veriness. <laughs> it's with all of your might, but it also be, can be translated as like all of your resources, all of the things at your disposal. And it's also very, bod- it's a bodily picture with all of your strength. One author writes, the intellectual, emotional, volitional, and physical elements of personhood are all involved in loving God. Genuine love for God is an intelligent love, an emotional love, a willing love, an active love. In short, it's a comprehensive, all-consuming love of singular adoration. God's wholehearted love for for believers must not be reciprocated with half-hearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. How many of you guys know that, that devotion breeds intimacy? Here's a concept. Devotion breeds intimacy. So whatever you're devoted to, maybe it's like, maybe it's neutral, like golf or something like that. You're going to have like this intimate relationship. You're going to learn all of the, the details of how to maximize your golf game or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's, maybe it's your children. Maybe it's, maybe it's like the things going on in politics. Maybe it's like things that, maybe things that you're fearful about and you're just intimately acquainted with like things that you're, you're actually like really anxious about. Maybe it's your sin. Maybe it's things that are of life-giving substance and just it's the joy of the Lord or his peace and his shalom or the kingdom. Whatever the case may be, devotion 
breeds intimacy with that thing. Another angle to, to, to look at here is devotion plus grace equals intimacy. And I fear kind of reducing down theological concepts into equations because it's just like, it's not robust enough. You can keep it up there. And, and so this devotion, this devotion plus grace is really the, the, a simplification just to help us get our mind around it. When we devote ourselves to God and we, we allow ourselves to receive his grace, the true belonging and life and union that our soul is longing for happens, that intimacy happens. And also it happens between people. If you're both devoted because of the grace of God, intimacy takes place. And so when it comes down to it, we were made for devotion. And then even another deeper level, maybe a Venn diagram on top of that is we are made for intimacy. It's because we were made for intimacy. You know, we were made to walk in the cool of the night with the one who loves us the most. We are made for that. We are made to be in union with the one who knows you and loves you the most. We were made to love him and receive his love and to be intimately connected, but it's hard to live that way when we're not devoted. When we're not devoted, or maybe he's, he's God's getting like a little section of our devotion, <laughs> right? And there are realistic reasons for all of this, and we'll get into that. Like, why is it so hard to even like channel my devotion in that direction? It seems like the, the current of the cosmos is against me, <laughs> right? And we'll talk about that a little bit. But we have to realize the centrality of devotion to be the access point for everything we're actually longing for. You know, if, if we're not devoted, if we're not adoring God, if we're not addicted to God the way that we need to be in a redemptive way, addicted to like, Lord, I just cannot live without you. You know, if, we, if we're not living this way, we won't step into the life of flourishing that we long for. You know, a lot of the time I feel like people are really devoted or maybe um, adore things in the world. But when it comes to Christianity, it's all about calculation. Let me just like check this box and do this or, you know, follow this rule. But it's, it's, it's less about calculation and more about adoration. It's less about calculation and more about adoration. Do we adore God? Do we adore God and worship him the way that we're supposed to? Like just coming before him, God, I worship you. I just dismiss all other distractions right now. I, I receive your forgiveness, singular adoration for you, God. I worship you. Something I want to grow in. I want to always be connected. I went to sleep last night, you know, thinking about some of this stuff. And I was like, man, I just go huge blocks without even thinking about God, let alone praying. And I'm not saying that I have to just like pray all the time, but true prayer is just, is relational connection. God, you're near and I love you and you're protecting me and you're working. Do you, can you speak? Like, could you lead me? What are you up to? You're in this room, you're moving. What are you up to? Would you help me partner with what you're doing in this place? And so we need to, it's an invitation for all of us to reclaim our true identity as children of God and, and also this incredible, beautiful dimension of, of being the bride of Christ and step into the devotion that Jesus is worthy of, amen? amen. He's so worthy. And so I wanna, I wanna talk about three quickly here, three core realities that either sabotage our devotion with God or support it, okay? Three things in life that either sabotage or support our devotion with God. The first one is this, time, time. You know, how we spend our time reveals what's most important to us. Just think for a second, how do I spend my time? That's most important to you. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 15, Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know, making the most of every opportunity kind of seems like, all right, we got to add some stuff to our life and we already live in a pretty chaotic and busy and crowded and hurried life. But maybe I want to propose that it's that we're reading into the text, maybe making the most of every opportunity is learning how to resist 
certain things. Maybe it's to say no to certain things. Maybe it's to declutter. Maybe it's to um, reorganize our life on what matters most. But either way, Paul is challenging the Ephesian believers to be very careful, very careful on how they live because something is lurking in the days in which they live and that is evil. So often in the scriptures, evil is personified as, some, like a, as like a creature lurking in the darkness. And so be very careful. And he's con- connecting that with how we're spending our time, interestingly, interestingly enough. And so it appears that even 2000 years ago, humanity had the same problem that we're dealing with now, how we're spending our time, the human heart, is pretty timeless, dealing with a lot of the same stuff. How are we devoting our time? And in a similar way, it's not only, it not only points to the problem of how we spend our time, but it's how we spend our energy. How do you spend your, how do you spend your energy? In general, there are four types of energy. I've been nerding out about this all week, and I'm trying to give you the most simplified version of all this stuff. It's such a cool world. You have time management, and then you have energy management, and it's just so, so healthy and helpful. But there are four types of energy in general and that a person carries, okay? You have the emotional source, you have a mental source, you have a spiritual, you know, and you have a physical. And I have a a diagram that I, might help for those visual. And so think of these as like springs within you or tanks, if you will, that are energy sources. And I think that you could add on a few more. You could probably think of a few more. Maybe a creative is another source. Maybe social is a certain source. You ever go to like a, uh, like a party or something, you're just like at home, you're just like, I need to be alone and I need to st- stare at a wall. You know, it's like you're just depleted of your social side. So, so uh, these, are, these are sources. And do those things look familiar to you based on the teaching today? Yeah. We see um, in, in Mark 12, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's almost like God knows what he's doing here. And so you can go to the next slide. These things correlate. And it might not be totally apples to apples, but I think there's a pretty strong correlation here. Why am I not in love with you, God? Why am I not devoted to you? Why do I have no energy for you? It's because you've used that for other things, right? You use all, we've used all of our energy for other things. We've given away our emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical energy. And so these are sources of energy that God has said, give me your first, give me the first fruits of your energy. And he does it with tithing as well. It's like a monetary kind of like, it's a proverbial thing or it's, it's, things, it's a moniker for a lot of other things in our life. Give me your first love. Give me your first resources. Give me your first energy and watch everything else fill up <laughs> when you actually give me the first. But so often we're giving away our time and our energy to things that are not life-giving. And then we wonder why we live a powerless life. You know, what are we giving away these things to? Maybe we're giving it away to our careers. Maybe it's to our hobbies. Maybe it's to our fears. Maybe it's to our families. And not all of these things are bad. Like we need to be wise about things. It's okay to enjoy life and enjoy golfing, so to speak, right? It's, it's good to assess, why am I feeling anxious? Let me just like, you know, examine these things. I'm not saying those things are bad. Of course, giving our hearts and being devoted to our children is not bad. Don't misunderstand me. But are we doing that over God? Are we doing that over God? That is the question. If we do that, we're disordering our life and we start to slip into chaos. And so, so often I find it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm like, I don't know what I'm missing. I'm missing something in this Christian life, even myself. I'm just like, what is going on? It's like, I think we're spending too much of our energy on horizontal things, whether it's politics or drama or work or school or kids or news or characters on a Netflix show. <laughs> giving away our, our emotional investment to these horizontal things. And they're not innately bad, but we're giving it, we're just going bankrupt. Or we should maybe perhaps in contrast to that, be giving our time and energy to vertical things, to God himself and to his plan of salvation, to this, the lowering of the ways of Jesus and the kingdom on earth and mercy spilling out from heaven to earth, right? 
So let me just say, let's, let's just practically speaking, if you're too tired to spend time with God, you're too tired. <laughs> you got to do something. <laughs> or you got to re- rearrange your life so that you can, we, can re- we can prioritize this. Amen? Amen? This is so crucial, so basic, and so profound. This is like where the wellspring of everything that you're yearning for comes from. And so in conclusion, where are we giving our time and our energy, for, our energy away to? This points to what we're devoted to. And so God is a good father. He's a good shepherd. Holy Spirit is our helper. He empowers us. And, he's, and, and the father is infinitely wise. And so he's built, into, he's built in this spiritual practice, this incredible spiritual practice that redeems and replenishes and refreshes our sense of time and our sense of energy. And he's built it into the very fabric of the universe. What is that thing? It's Sabbath. It's Sabbath. He's built it into the very fabric of creation. And so when we don't Sabbath rest with Jesus, we're going against the grain of the universe. No wonder we're so tired. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, it says this, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. So God is, is, he is presenting a very practical solution for this problem of time and energy. Of course, there's other ways that we can re- replenish the sources of these things, but Sabbath is so central. And it demonstrates, doing Sabbath demonstrates our trust and devotion to God. And so they were told by God, check this out, they were told by God to rest even during the plowing and harvest season. They didn't live in a first world country like we do where we can just go to H-E-B whenever we're hungry or something like that. Like their livelihood and their, like their kids eating relied on the work that they did during this season. But God's like, even then I need you to rest. Why is that? Well, to cultivate something even more important than food it was devotion to God. God knows that it's even more important than food, even though when we, when we prioritize him and trusting him and resist the pressures and anxieties of this world to produce, it actually orients us and we have more than we need. But it's hard to live that way. It, 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 it necessitates transcending some fear and self-dependence. So this, this practice is to help us cultivate devotion, trust, and obedience. And so we see this, we see this um, practice. I just want to like make a couple of notes. This is not a legal requirement. Sabbath is not, it's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. And uh, it's not a legal requirement. It's actually a life-giving reminder of what Jesus is calling us into. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, I read this all the time. It's probably one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see that callback to the Sabbath in that? Sabbath is a tangible and practical and measurable way that we demonstrate our devotion to God. And it's an act of surrender, but then there's, once you settle past that, like that hard part of just like giving up, you start to experience delight and enjoyment of Jesus. Number two is treasure, the thing that sabotages or supports our life. The greatest test of our heart is what we do with our treasure, whether it's a lot or a little. Nearly half of the parables in the scriptures are about money and possessions. Half of them. Think about that. Jesus comes down, God comes down into the flesh to talk about this revolution that he wants to bring to planet earth. And half of what he talks about in the parables is about money and possessions. Why is this? He speaks about this because it's one of the most, this money, this materialism is one of the most challenging and competing adversary for our hearts. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to his son in the faith, Timothy. One of the last letters he writes, and he's talking about this. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. <laughs> For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The language is so like, it's so profound. He's not messing around. Money though, we see here, money is not the root of all evil, okay? Money's not. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil and can be so harmful and destructive. It's devotion to money. It's greed. And so Paul warns that the love of money causes people to what? To wander from their faith. What else does the text say? It says that when, when you love money, your heart can be pierced with many griefs. Oh my gosh. And so the question is not, do we have money? We all need money. The question is, does money have us? How we spend and invest and budget our money reveals our devotion to God. Because God has a way of, of doing things. <laughs> he has, a, he has a, a way that he wants the world to function. He's created the world actually to be enjoyed. Like in its purity, the world is just magnificent. We think of just music and art and relationships and nature and just, the, the, just growth biology, like the universe, like it's just beautiful. It, 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 it's awe-inspiring. And so we're, it's meant to be enjoyed and it's, and think of food too. Oh my gosh, right there. There's so much good food. God wants us to enjoy creation and he wants, he wants it to be replenishing. He wants the world to be replenishing to us. But how does this happen? He's designed it that we give to the world, we plant, and then we also get back. And so what's this concept known as in the scriptures? It's called sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. It's one of the most repeated concepts in the scripture. It's so, it's so powerful. Why does he keep talking about this? Because it's a principle that he's, he's woven into the very makeup of the world. And I think ultimately it actually points to the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I was praying through this and I was like, oh my gosh, this, this reality is actually pointing to Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. So Jesus in a very central way is, is God sowing to the world. Let me take my treasure and give it to the planet and give it to the world, even though it's broken. And he's gonna sow and give truth and spread the ways of God. And he's even gonna be crucified and go into the earth, buried like heaven's seed. And then he comes out of the grave with the power to repopulate and repollinate the world with new creation. This is profound. This is why we need to participate in the same way. It points to our Messiah. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John 3, 16. And so this is God's unspeakable act of devotion towards us. And so when we become givers and we leverage our treasure, big or small, we all have treasure. When we leverage our treasure for God and for others, we're actually living in our intended purpose and reflecting the nature and devotion of God. This is our calling. If you're looking for purpose, there it is right there. We are givers, leveraging our treasure, our time, our, our energy for God, for others, reflecting God's nature, spilling it out where mercy can take place in our cultural hour. And lastly, the last thing that can either sabotage or support our devotion, and this one is a little bit shorter, so lean in. This one's attention. So give me your attention as we talk about attention. I'll ask Gabrielle to, to come up and um, play some keys behind this last point. Attention. You know, our attention and focus determine the nature of our adoration and devotion. I'm gonna read that again. Our attention and focus determine the nature of our adoration and devotion. And let me just give you another powerful truth right here, okay? What we fix our eyes on actually has the, the power to fill our soul and our body with either light or darkness. 
do we, do we realize that like what you look at, what you pay attention to has the capacity to fill your body, your one and only body and your soul with either light or with dark, darkness. In Matthew chapter six, verse 22, Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. In John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. <laughs> I am the light of the world. This is why we fix our eyes on Jesus, right church? This is why we fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we do over time, our body and our soul gets filled with light. I, I met with a, with a couple this morning, just quickly before church. And it's been dealing with PTSD. And uh, in that moment, even just talking and praying and like allowing us to just take a few seconds to fix our, our eyes on Jesus. We did it together and prayed. I could just literally feel like this invasion of light into these dark places of chaos and drama and war. This stuff is so real. And the invitation is for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, forgive us for just for the adultery, for loving other things than you. This is why Hebrews says, the author says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So whatever we fix our attention on will determine our devotion of our heart. So let us be a people that fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us be a people who give our time and our energy and our treasure and our attention to God and to others and watch life bloom right before us. Destiny and purpose come alive. Let's not devote ourselves to the things of this world that bring unhealth and destruction. I wanna just quickly move and kind of shift just a bit um, into a time of Holy Spirit ministry. Um, Holy Spirit is here to bring the gospel to illuminate the person, Holy Spirit. And so maybe you can just put yourself in a posture of receiving, put yourself in a posture of worship. Maybe that's closing your eyes. Maybe that's putting your hands out like this. Maybe you can just even whisper, just Jesus, we want more of you. Just say that, Jesus, we want more of you. Say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Say, Jesus, say, say, Holy Spirit, come. Yeah. So Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this place? Would you minister to our hearts? Would you give us words of knowledge? Would you give us words of wisdom, healing power in this place, God? getting this word in my heart that Jesus, um, as people, as we encounter this very serious call of devotion, um, sometimes our sin can come in there. Our shame can come and distract and weigh us down. And I'm here to remind us all, including myself, that Jesus comes and loves us and is devoted to us, not despite our sin, but in the midst of it. In the midst of our sin, he is devoted to us. And all we have to do is reciprocate. Yes, God. Now breathe in his presence. Now we give you all of our anxiety, God. People in here, Lord, who have compromised their purity 
and looked at things that they shouldn't have. We thank you for your cleansing power in this place. Thank you for purity, that you're speaking purity over them. All the places where they might feel unworthy. I don't know how to be devoted. I'm, I'm devoted to all the wrong things. Look at my life. Thank you that the banner over them is innocent. <laughs> and when it does, it glorifies Jesus because of what you've done on the cross. We're going to have a time to worship here, and I think it's worth it to just worship it uh, with song. And so the, I'm going to call the band up. But stay, but church, stay in this place of, of lingering in God's presence just for another second here. Keep your eyes closed. And maybe just walk with me as those places of compromise in your time. I've just given too much time to my work or to these fears or to these, this offense or to these hobbies and allow God to redeem them. Lord, like just give them to him and say, Lord, I give you these, these compromises. And he takes them. Where you've squandered energy, give it to the Lord. Where you've been after the treasure of the world and utilizing your own treasure to just get more treasure for your own sake instead of expanding the king, kingdom. These glimpses, the shadow side of greed, just give that to the Lord. And then together we all repent for not giving God the attention that he deserves. Yeah. Thank you, that's who we are though. This church is a devoted church, a loving church, a faithful church, a church that gives you our attention, our focus, our worship, all of the glory. That's who we really are. And so thank you for taking us into that direction and stepping forward with us hand in hand, hand in hand.